When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com in the mobile app. Lance Beto, Paul DeTito, Jeff Fiegels with you as we are here to break down all that is happening with the New York football Giants and multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, including finding us on Twitter at hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So today we're continuing our opponent preview series and we move up through the calendar. We are up to week six as the Giants will collide with the Baltimore Ravens at MetLife Stadium on Sunday, October 16th, a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And to help us break down what to expect out of Baltimore this season, we are now joined by Jerry Coleman, Ravens beat reporter for 105.7 The Fan. Jerry, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegels here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Lance, Paul, Jeff, thanks for having me on. Everything is well here. Uh, that'll be the first of two trips over to the uh Meadowlands to uh, play the teams that reside there. And then the next week, when you mentioned week six, I was thinking about week seven because we spent a lot of time this week talking about the Cleveland Browns and will Deshaun Watson or not be coming to Baltimore the following week. But the focus here is on the G-Men. That's right. (laughs) And we will give you some tips on East Rutherford, New Jersey, perhaps a little bit later on in the program as you prepare for the upcoming trips. But speaking of the quarterback, I'm glad you went there because that's where I want to start. Similar to the Giants, Baltimore right now has a lame duck quarterback. Not that we think they're going to part ways with Lamar Jackson, Jerry, but contractually speaking, he is in the final year of his contract. It obviously has been a huge conversation. A, do you think something will get done before the season starts? And if he has to play through this final year, year on the rookie deal how much of an issue at all could that present i personally do not think something will get done before a training camp mainly because lamar has no agent he has a very tight circle he's apparently negotiating with the gm of the team which is completely unusual and i don't know how sped up or the sense of urgency there is between lamar's side really and getting this done he has slow walked this throughout the offseason He has kept saying he wants a deal done. The Ravens apparently have made an offer not to his liking. So I think this will drag on. I don't think it will be discussed during the regular season. 
don't know how you can have your starting quarterback negotiating with your GM while you're in the midst of a regular season in which you have Super Bowl ambitions. So I don't see that occurring. What I do think will happen is, again, the Ravens will continue to slow off this, possibly go down that Kirk Cousins route and franchise him. He's under team control for two more years after this. So it's not like he can walk away. He can hold out and get fined $50,000 a day uh, not participating in training camp. But this is his first year of making real big money at $23 million. So it's not like he's being you know, completely underpaid. But by quarterback standards these days, yes, he's underpaid. Jerry, how does the locker room feel about him and about the potential distraction that this thing could cause? Because we all know the media types. Come on now. Those questions will continue to come regardless of the situation. Absolutely. And it already began during the uh, mandatory minicamp. Prior to that, the OTAs. Some of the rookies were even asked about it before they even met the guy. Uh, everyone has to walk a, uh, a tightrope here because, you know, you don't want to get involved with other people's money unless you're Baker Mayfield. So they're probably trying to stay away from it, but they can't avoid it. The questions are going to keep coming throughout the season. I think once we get into the regular season, they're going to try and put the kibosh on it and say, listen, we're not talking about Lamar's contract anymore. But throughout the preseason and throughout training camp, that is going to be a continuing question. The last time he spoke before he left after the mandatory, very ambiguous about his situation, didn't even commit to coming to training camp. But, again, I think that would be costly. Maybe he does something like a sit-in where he shows up but doesn't participate. Hmm. Talk about locker room. That'll go over real well. (laughs) Uh, Jerry, again, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm going to stick real quickly on the offense. i got a couple questions for you. Obviously, the health of Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins is going to help that offense. As you know, last year there was a kind of a a point where they just, you know, there was back and forth. A lot of injuries on that side of the football. The Two questions for you. The the departed Marquise Brown, obviously that was a shocker for everybody, uh, including Lamar Jackson, who had come out on Twitter and and voiced his opinion on that one. But I feel like Rashad Bateman and, and Devin DuVernay, big, big opportunity for those two guys. But I feel like, and maybe you can answer this for me, that position, uh, a little bit of a major hole in my, in, my, in my opinion. And then one quick one, if you can just tell me a little bit about Tyler Linderbaum. There was a lot of questions from a lot of people about, hey, do you draft a center in the first round? Obviously, the Ravens did. Well, obviously, Lamar was a little surprised. You saw the tweet he put out, WTF, when they decided to trade right. his best friend like he supposedly didn't know about it with Marquise Brown. And uh, he went to the Cardinals because he wanted even more targets, even though he was the most targeted wide receiver on the team. Had a lot of drops, I thought, for a first-round pick, a complete underachiever. Uh, the Ravens are run-first offense. They're mm. wide receivers. They use sparingly, and they use them to block. Now, Rashad Bateman is going to be their number one wide receiver, but it's wide open for number two. And I would say Devin DuVernay has the lead right now on a guy like James Prochet. But when you combine the resumes of the way of the wide receiver core, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, very few touchdown catches, if any, and the fact that they just don't have a lot of experience in terms of snaps with Tyler Linderbaum. It's a guy they needed in terms of the offensive line and protecting Lamar. Too many snaps went over Lamar's head. That's what helped cause an injury at one point. So they needed some stability there. And I think they did a great job because Marquise Brown, the pick they traded away to Arizona for him, was actually a later pick that they used a few years ago to obtain him from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
Well, with respect to the offensive line, and then I want to extend that to the running game, Jerry, really they were hit by injuries at both of those positions last season. You look at Ronnie Stanley, a tackle, and then all of a sudden right out of the gates it became a merry-go-round at running back because J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards went down. A, what's the status of all three of those guys as they look to get back in the mix? And how much do you think that overall boosts the offense, given the fact, as you just mentioned, and we talked about, the receiving core doesn't necessarily have an overwhelming amount of proven commodities? Well, there were hits everywhere, including Marcus Peters. They had the worst pass defense in the National Football League. Also lost their other starting cornerback, Marlon Humphrey. So think about that. Their top two cornerbacks yep. are gone. Basically, for most of the season, Marlins occurred during the season. Everyone else you just mentioned was preseason. Ronnie Stanley, we still don't know about. I suspect he will not participate in training camp nor the regular season. He'll be out there. He was out there during the OTAs, but no timetable on him. No timetable for a recovery and return for J.K. Dobbins, who I think, outside of Lamar, is their best offensive threat. And Gus Edwards, same boat. Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters went down during the same practice last year with non-contact injuries. So it was just a terrible day, and they had a black cloud over them in terms of injuries last year. So they get those guys back healthy. That's a huge difference maker, especially for a run-first offense, having your top two running backs and best offensive linemen return. I wonder how much the tight end is going to be a part of what they do. We all know that Mark Andrews has been terrific the last couple of years. Nick Boyle's had injury issues. But then this year, in a deep tight end class, they go and they draft Kolar and Likely, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I omitted the tight end position. And they are going to be tight end heavy in terms of reliance in the passing game and the blocking game. They have a guy like Nick Boyle who's an excellent blocker, uh, caller, and likely can do both of the same. They're looking for those guys also to catch some passes, but make no mistake about it. The go-to guy for Lamar Jackson is Mark Andrews. Mm -hmm. He's the uh, all-pro wide, uh, excuse me, all-pro tight end, a guy who has received his paycheck and just came off an excellent Pro Bowl season. So he is the main comfortable target for Lamar, and he is a guy who has worked on his blocking as well. Actually, uh, as slimmed down a little bit, looks in terrific shape. But they will run a two tight end set offense. Sometimes they'll have three, maybe even four out there. They're definitely keeping four tight ends on the roster and possibly five because they really rely on that position so much for catching and blocking. Uh, Jerry, I, I think um, I know we, we kind of don't have a lot of time with you, so I want to move over to the defense. I, I have a question. Well, first, I want to get your take when neither now or, or sometime before you go about Wink. I mean, we're all excited about him uh, with the Giants over here. I know you have some experience with him there. We'd love to hear your comments about him, what we can oh, yeah. expect. Um, Kyle Hamilton, the safety Talk to me a little bit about, you know, where he's going to fit in this defense. Obviously, the safety position is pretty pretty good over there. And so how he's going to get some playing time in there, obviously being the first rounder, I would imagine he will. T- tell us a little bit about what you've seen him through the OTAs and mini camps and things like that. Well, he looks like a stud, and admittedly, he was the best player on the board for the Ravens. It was not a position of need because they have a guy like Chuck Clark. They bring in a guy like Marcus Washington. Uh, Marcus Williams, excuse me, from the Saints in the offseason, pay him a lot of money. Um, they, you know, have some depth already on the roster. So that was kind of curious. But he's a guy I think that you're going to see move around a lot in the secondary. And he could, 
even move up to the linebacker position at times. So I think they're going to be very sneaky with him, but find a way to get him on the field because when you're drafted number one in the NFL, guys, you know you need to be on the field from day one almost immediately unless you have a setback during training camp. That's the, that's the expectation, especially with a guy like Kyle Ham and Hamilton, who has taken number 14 overall. So he's going to have an impact on this defense. What kind, we just don't know yet. Uh, the Ravens really didn't turn the ball over too much as a defense altogether. They lacked an interception. Their pass rush was atrocious, only 34 quarterback sacks. And that's one of the reasons, I think, that Wink Martindale is uh, now coaching the Giants defense. We're talking with Jerry Coleman, Ravens beat reporter for 105.7 The Fan. And I want to pick up exactly where you left off with Wink. And I know Jeff brought him up because... Mike McDonald is returning as the defensive coordinator, Jerry, and he worked under Wink after he then left to go to Michigan to be their defensive coordinator. So, A, how much of what he's going to run will be a continuation of what Wink established when he was an assistant? And when you talked about the sack numbers went down, the other thing that was interesting about Baltimore during Wink's tenure was no one ever had double-digit sacks, Jerry. It was Matt Judon that had the most ever with nine and a half. Is that a product of how he blitzes and spreads the wealth, or is there something else to read into that? Yeah, it was a problem, and guys seemed to get better when they left. Yannick Ngakwe, you mentioned Matt Judon, uh, Zadarius Smith, who was about to come back, and the Ravens didn't pay him enough, but Wink got a lot of blitz happy all the time, and uh, he was very boastful. I think he will be a big hit in the Big Apple, but I do think that Mike McDonald is going to tame it down a little bit and not be as aggressive as Wink and maybe try and lay back and rely on the pass coverage because the Ravens don't have a bona fide pass rusher. They have a couple of guys who had pretty good seasons. One was Tyus Bowser. He's coming off an Achilles. The other was a rookie, Adafi Owe, out of Penn State who uh, was second on the team in terms of sacks, but he's only in his second year, and everyone else on the roster is very much unproven. So getting to the quarterback is going to be a major problem, and based on the schedule they have, they're playing some pretty good quarterbacks. Well, you look at their draft and their first four rounds, they went very heavy on defense, so it's obvious that they wanted youth, speed, and they're trying to get guys to push other people on the depth chart. But, Jerry, I guess we probably need to go more into Wink because I'm sure Giants fans want to know more about what to expect. We know the scheme. It's a blitz-happy scheme. Guys are going to come from all over the place at any time. There are no clearly defined positions because guys have to be able to play multiple spots. What What is it? about Wink and, of course, the talent mix that he had last season that did not work out so well that he'll be able to overcome now that he's here in New York? Well, I don't know if he had the right personnel here in Baltimore. That, And also, I think there were some clashes with Coach Harbaugh where Wink was a little bit more vocal. Coach Harbaugh likes to have a little bit more control over his head coach, uh, assistant coaches rather, uh, as the head coach. It kind of reminded me of the situation with Rex Ryan, where that flamed out after just a year because of Rex's boastfulness. And uh, I think Wink will be a lot of the same way as Rex. Uh, he's a disciple of Rex. So, you know, I think Wink feels like he should be a head coach. And I think that was a big part of their disagreement as well. And when he wasn't promoted to be an assistant head coach here in Baltimore, I think he was ready to move on. 
Well, I know that we are excited. I, I know a lot of the fans and, you know, a lot of the people covering the team are excited to get this going and see what type of uh, defense that he puts together. I know that the personnel thing is kind of something that we've talked about, Jerry, on this program before is just finding a way to, you know, if he's going to be the type of coach that we think he's going to be, is the personnel good enough on this team to, to go ahead and do those types of things? And kind of what you're telling me is that maybe the Ravens had a little bit of a problem with that. So we're open to see. Give me one, one thing that you can see from Wink's defense that you know that, uh, that you know, opposing teams are definitely going to have to count on day in and day out. I know it's the blitz. That's an easy one. Give me something else maybe that you can think from Wink's defense that people are going to be like, whoa, okay, we're going to have to stop this before we do anything. Yeah, the obvious is the aggressiveness, but also the the hitting is going to be very hard. They're gonna they're gonna try and leave a mark and and make sure you Physical. remember, and especially yeah. the and especially the quarterback when he goes down. You know, there was a comment he made about not reading not ready to uh, fit Joe Burrow with a gold jacket just yet. That came back to haunt him last year. So you know, I think he'll uh, choose his words carefully, especially around the New York media. But he's a guy that's going to preach togetherness. Uh, he feels like the defense is a brotherhood. Sometimes he had him a little too separate from the rest of the team, and I think that also didn't go over well. So I'll be interested to see if he keeps the defense together, you know, with the special teams and offense or off on their own. Jerry, as a follow-up to that, one of the things that also stands out about Wink's defense is really putting a lot of pressure on corners on the outside and expecting them to handle their business because of the aggressive nature up front and blitzing and getting after the quarterback. How much was it just the injuries in the secondary that perhaps made that a big problem for his defense last year, especially against the Bengals, as you mentioned, because Burrow and Jamar Chase had an absolute field day? Yeah, I don't think you can discount that. I really don't. I don't think you can discount the fact that, you know, I mean, they had a number of injuries up front, and it made the secondary susceptible, and then they lose both of their cornerbacks. So, yeah, that hurt him. Uh, they tried to help him as much with the guys they brought in, but they're not all pros. They're not pro bowlers like some of the guys that he lost, especially the two cornerbacks, and they really didn't help him in terms of the pass rush besides bringing in a rookie, even though Tyus Bowser took a step. So I think that impacted things, and the fact they were dead last against the pass also didn't help his resume. Uh, Jerry, I've got to ask you about a few of the Ravens that he brought up here to New York. Uh, Ellis, of course, uh, along the defensive line. He brought in uh, Dorsey uh, in the secondary, brought in Kennedy. Uh, what can you tell us about what they might contribute to the Giants this year? I mean, these are all guys, to be honest, that I don't think are going to be huge impact guys. They're either guys the Ravens didn't want or couldn't afford. Uh, there's no one that really stands out. I mean, Justin Ellis, probably the biggest name of the bunch. But, again, a guy who didn't really overachieve in Baltimore with the defense. So, you know, I think the, the Ravens were also salary cap strapped, and uh, that had an impact on who they could and couldn't pay. They're still looking for a bona fide pass rusher. And they're not going to find them because they can't afford anyone who's really a bona fide pass rusher. It looks like they're going to have to try and bring back a guy like Tustin Houston, who's still on the scrap heap and was here a year ago. So uh, the defense just should be better by health. But as far as bringing in extra talent, I don't foresee that. As far as what the Giants have done, um, you know, we'll just see how one uh, coaches them up. And it's going to be an interesting training camp, I'm telling you. He's going to fill up the notebooks and uh, the content machine there on Sports Talk Radio on the Big Apple. There'll be no shortage.
Well, we certainly won't complain because that means we'll have plenty of content to discuss as well. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. He is Jerry Coleman, Ravens beat Never. reporter, yes, for 105.7 The Fan. Jerry, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to seeing you when the Giants play the Ravens and look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again. Be well, Thank Jerry. You, Jerry. Thanks. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. All right. That is Jerry Coleman with us here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live laying out what to expect for the Baltimore Ravens. And guys, let's react to what he had to say about Wink because I think there was some interesting items there. Number one, he had mentioned that he was very aggressive in terms of his scheme, which I don't think is shocking, but that at times that may have come back to bite him, especially last season not having the full personnel on the back end, and maybe that led to obviously some issues with John Harbaugh. So, you know, this is why I've brought this up a lot, Paul, on this show. It's always about who you have on your roster. It's not so much about the scheme. It's about can the scheme apply to the guys you're currently working with, and you can only take so much away from Baltimore because he was with a different cluster of players when he was with the Ravens. Well, you know, I think later on during that conversation, Jerry specifically mentioned that they were banged up up front, and they could not get to the quarterback. In fact, earlier in the conversation, he flat out said they didn't have much of a pass rush. Well, this goes back to what I've always said with Wink. It don't, it's always going to start with the pass rush. Yes, you have to have guys you can cover on the back end, but his primary objective is all based on the pass rush. That is number one, two, three, and four on his priority list. And then you worry about the guys who can cover on the back end. Because if you've got the, the people up front who can instill fear and cause havoc, that's going to ruin and disrupt the timing of the offense in the passing game, and that will give your secondary that extra half a second or their extra second and a half that they need to recover and to do what they do. It will always be a priority for Wink to have the guys up front, and it was clear the Ravens didn't have that. The Giants, on the other hand, in my opinion, have a very, very solid front and one that is ascending, and I think, you know, look, he made no, no bones about this. Uh, you know, Wink said Thibodeau was his number one guy. Mm-hmm. Of course, what's he going to say after they take him? But yeah, I truly sure. believe that yeah. Thibodeau was the number one guy on his list. Well, I, you know, when you look at what Jerry was telling us about, you know, no bona fide pass rusher, the Giants have a bona fide pass rusher. Their number one draft pick is going to be a bona fide pass rusher. And by the way, Aziz Ajilari is not, is any, you know, isn't, isn't He's no chicken <laughs> feed. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, you know, just being, if I'm Wink, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm way ahead of the game here. And Leonard and when, Williams, too. And Leonard, when I was going to go there, I'm going to go, look, exactly. Okay, so I've got a defensive line there. I've got a rotation that I'm going to be very uh, satisfied to have. Um, I have some, you know, I have maybe, maybe they might be lacking a little bit of the ability on the secondary. But, you know, hey, listen, if you got that pass rush, then, you know, your secondary might be okay. But here's the thing. When I when I see the relationships, and you guys know how this works in coaching, how everything kind of, it's it trickle-down effect. You start here, you go here, you go there. Wink Martindale, when I hear Jerry Coleman talk about, uh, you know, the, hello, um, oh, my God. It just, it just flipped the my mind. Relationships you're talking about? Yeah, relationship. But um, Rex Ryan, okay? Wink Martindale. Well, where, where did Rex Ryan come from? 
He came from his dad, Buddy Ryan. And when I played for Buddy, this sounds exactly like Wink Martindale. <laughs> I mean, you talk about getting pressure after the quarterback. And then when he said, I'm interested to see about how the defense stays aside from the, from the specialist and the other offense, that was total Buddy Ryan. <laughs> I mean, the defense was the priority. Buddy could care less about the offense. He let somebody else, Richie Kotite, run it and all that other stuff, whatever. But the fact is is that this is what Wink's going to do. He's going to bring this aggressive style. And, by the way, mean, physical, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. And, obviously, the game has changed a lot since Buddy Ryan was coaching. You know, you're not going to be able to hit the quarterback in the side of the helmet anymore like that. But I feel like it's going to be aggressiveness. It's going to be physical. And if you're a defensive guy and you like to watch defensive football, this is going to be comical to a point where I hope it's good. I don't mean comical where I don't want a bunch of, you know, you certainly don't want a bunch of penalties every game because they're, they're aggressiveness because you got to play within the rules. You guys know that. I think I can add some, some weaving to this between mm-hmm. Lance's question about how will Wink adapt to his roster and what you just said, Jeff, because during the course of the spring practices and the OTAs and the mini camps, mm-hmm. I mean, I was out there for all but one. I, I saw all but one practice. And what I can tell you is that Brian Dable makes it a point to unify everybody out at practice. And even though they work in the positional groups, and obviously the pass rushers are doing pass rush drills, and et cetera, et cetera, we get that. There's portions of practice where guys will be separated and regimented. But I will tell you, Brian Dable stops over at every station, and then he does make sure that there are certain portions of practice where everybody stays together. And I get the opinion that he and Wink actually get along extremely well. It's not just the respect that he had for Wink's defense Mm -hmm. that prompted him to interview him. I actually think their personalities mesh, and that's going to be an incredibly important key for this team. And I do think that Dable is very much, as is Joe Shane, the general manager, uh, in tune to the whole building needs to be pulling in one direction. And I don't necessarily think that the factions that we've heard about before are going to be part of what the Giants do here. Sure. Well, also, remember, Harbaugh and Wink go way back with those families. Remember, Harbaugh's father was the one that hired Wink at Western Kentucky. So those two have been interwoven for decades, and then sure. Wink obviously worked under Harbaugh at Baltimore. It wasn't like he showed up last year. He was there in various <laughs> different positions. So, you know, listen, after a while, you work together with the same person. He mentioned, Jerry, that Martindale has aspirations to be a head coach. If you remember when Wink was hired here, he was asked about the interview that he had with the Giants when they ultimately hired mm-hmm. Joe Judge. He's made no bone about it. He knows that he wants to be a head coach. He's letting everybody else know that. I don't think that's a secret. Clearly, people understand he wants to take the next step. But I also think Dable may be a little bit different than John Harbaugh from the perspective of Dable now is becoming a first-time head coach, guys. Okay, this is his first rodeo. And I've said this, when you have a first-time head coach, it's important to have guys around you running the offense and the defense. And for Dable's perspective, more so the defense, because he's obviously an offensive-minded coach, where you don't have to hover over a guy like that. You have confidence he could go off in his own corner. He could run the scheme. I don't need to worry about he's a first-time coach, and he's also going through the challenges. So I actually think an experienced person like Wink Martindale is an extreme benefit to Brian Dable as Dable now tries to jump into the deep end for the first time and run a team as opposed to just an offense. Well, you're looking at, what, about a 10-year age difference between the two guys? 
Dable much younger, of course, than Martindale. So there's that advantage of experience, but there's also that advantage of uh, uh, being a little bit, just a little bit of a generation removed, where he also understands maybe some things that have worked over the course of time that, you know, I'm always one of those guys who believes that you can go back into history because things cycle. And, and look, I've, I've, I've said this many or many times in the last 10 years. Some of these Giants coaching staffs would do very well to go back and look at some of the tapes from the Parcells-Belichick teams and try to steal some of that stuff. I think Whit Martindale is enough of old school that he can blend it with some of Dable's new school. And I think that that, that to me, is an intriguing mix. It's not just about experience. It's also about some of that old-school philosophy that I think he can bring to the table. I think, Jeff, the other aspect with respect to just the overall philosophy is, and this may have led to perhaps a little bit of the frustration or the faction that Jerry was alluding to. And you know this, Jeff. You've been in locker rooms. You've been around teams. When a team doesn't win, right, it's easy for other things to come to the forefront. And Baltimore was up and down last season. And part of that was because right out of the gate, we were talking about Jerry. You lose Ronnie Stanley, your best tackle. You lose two running backs. Before the season even started, already the Ravens were handicapped. And I think that took a toll on the team. So I think that may have been another reason why they decided, okay, hey, we've had a good run. Maybe it's time for us to recharge our batteries and some of the coaches are going to go their separate ways. Whereas the Giants, you're now trying to build a foundation. There's no history here in terms of these relationships compared to what Wink left behind at Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, things got to change, right? I mean, the, the head coach, as we all know, is a guy that is – his legacy is going to be left by the guys that are coaching for him, right? So, I mean, he's going to have to uh, make decisions that sometimes are not – you know, they're not liked by other people, but the bottom line is it's about winning. And this has been a winning franchise, so they're not used to losing that like they did last year. Now, injuries, we always don't – we try not to make excuses for injuries, but I think in the locker room you try not to. But the media, I think we talk about it all the time, that we know that it, that it makes a big difference. I mean, look at a few years ago, Lance, when you and I always chuckle about this one. You know, later in the year when we're in the studio, when we're looking at the depth chart, not even knowing who in the heck any of these people are. Well, how are you going to win in the league if you have injuries and you don't have good depth? I think so. I feel like, you know, there's a time in every head coach's tenure, whether he, if, if he gets fired, everybody goes. But if there's a staff change... It's basically because it's needed, and it sounds to me like this was one that was needed. Uh, we know the relationship that they both had, so it's, I don't think it was anything to be maybe personal. Although Jerry led on to it might have been a little bit, but hey, listen, I, I think you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do if you're a head coach and move on. And of course, you know Mike McDonald. It, it was a great question whether he's gonna keep some of the same you know philosophy as Wink Martindale. But I think a lot of coaches in this National Football League defensive coordinators. I feel that it's a tough way to live by blitzing all the time in the sure. National Football League. I, I just feel there's it's just so much. living on the edge, essentially. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I feel like it's, yeah, exactly. And I, and I just, I, I, I get a little bit crazy when I think that if that's what this defense is going to be like, you know, and to your point, uh, Paul, as far as the cornerbacks, I mean, you put a lot of people, a lot of pressure on those guys if you're going to be doing stuff like this. So we'll see what happens. But back to your point, I think Baltimore, they had to make it. They had to make a, They had to make a move, and they did. And you know, we got we got a wink now, and we're excited about having them. And the other thing, to your point, Jeff, is the fact that you, know, you got to take into consideration, especially based on the 
aggressiveness of the defense if Mike McDonald comes in and he wants to dial it back, which is the term that Jerry used. It's understandable, especially if they're still developing pass rushers and he doesn't have confidence that they have the guy. I mean, Jason Owe, I thought, was their bright spot, but sometimes you need support for a guy. It's the whole Batman-Robin conversation that we've had with Paul over the years. So, you know, that's the other thing. They may want to wait for somebody else to burst out on the scene to compliment the likes of Jason Owe. Few reminders before we move on here on the program. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for this one for more information. Few reminders with respect to the show in case you're tuning in for the first time in a few days. We are taping our shows this week because... There are some technical issues we've run into, but we hope to be back up and running live after next week because there will be no shows next week during the week of July 4th. There won't be anything wrong with your podcast platform, I promise. It's just we're taking a little bit of hiatus because the facility is closing, but we'll be back up and running the following week. And hopefully, once again, we will be up and running live at noon Eastern. But all of the podcasts are updated on the latest platforms, Giants.com and the mobile app, so you should have no issue retrieving that. And you can also check out some of our recent Giants Huddle podcasts in the meantime next week while this show is on hiatus. Now, we have looked at some NFL.com articles and other features over the last few weeks, guys, and actually I just found one that is related to the conversation we were having, which is interesting about the relationships across the NFL landscape and also some of the pressures that first-time head coaches face. And NFL.com, this was Bucky Brooks, he did an article recently and it was entitled 10 New NFL Head Coaches, Who's in the Best Situation for 2022? The Worst, Let's Rank Them. And clearly the Giants are on this list because they apply. So he has New York coming in at number seven overall. Just want to give you an idea of who he has on the back end, because he went from 10 all the way to 1. Number 1 on his list is Todd Bowles, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He obviously is inheriting a pretty good situation as Bruce Arians stepped aside. Number 10 is Lovey Smith, who's similar to Todd Bowles. He was the defensive coordinator for the Texans. He was promoted. Then number 9 is Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator, takes over Chicago. We previewed Chicago earlier this week. Doug Peterson comes in at number 8 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then number 7, Brian Dable. And I want to read you what he had to say, and I think this is something we can react to. Bucky Brooks wrote the following, quote, The ultra-creative play caller finally gets his chance to run a squad after demonstrating outstanding flexibility and adaptability throughout his time in Buffalo. After transforming Josh Allen into a superstar while helping the Bills become title contenders, Dable encounters a new challenge with the Giants as he attempts to build up Daniel Jones and company into a powerhouse after years of futility. The defensive nucleus is intriguing with plenty of top-end talent up front. He names Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aziz Ojolari. That should enable the team to get back to the blueprint that's produced Super Bowl wins in the past. While there's plenty of work to be done on offense, Dable's smoke and mirrors approach could mask some of the team's deficiencies, end quote. So he seems to be emphasizing here, Paul, a lot on the offensive creativeness between Dable and Kafka, and that if the defense does struggle a little, that maybe that could make up for some of their ups and downs. Well, 
I think we all look at the Giants and we say to ourselves, as we always should, it starts with the offensive line. If we believe that this offensive line is going to be functional at its very minimum, and I think it's fair to believe that they will, two number one draft picks at the tackle spots, uh, a center who is coming down from the coach's previous uh, uh, spot of, uh, of work, uh, you have to believe that he strongly believes in Feliciano. Uh, we know that Bobby Johnson, uh, with his Colts uh, relationship with Glowinski, is bringing him in. These guys aren't bringing them in because they don't think they can get it done. They're bringing them in because they have tremendous confidence and they know that the Giants' offensive line has been basically a flea market of, of ruin for the last several years. And so they've got to have a tremendous amount of belief that these guys are going to come in and immediately get this thing to a level where they can function. I'm not going to tell you this will be a great offensive line. What I am going to say is I truly believe that with what they have now, the potential starting five at its minimum will be functional. And that has not been the case here for several years. So once you put that in place, it's not hard to look at the skill position players and say, all right, you have no idea who's going to be healthy and who's going to be hurt. But if you take a hypothetical, which is what you're doing, you assume they're going to be on the field. Well, if they're on the field, this is a very good crop of skill position players. So I follow Bucky Brooks with this logic because I do think that this offense is going to score over 20 points a game. Now, they may not well, get they to better. 20. Well, yeah. <laughs> Considering I mean, it's on. been 17 and a half the last year. Come on. I, I mean, hope they get just over 20. That'd be a step in I the mean, right direction. You know, I don't know if they're going to score 24 a game. I'd like to see them score at least 23 a game. And I know you say, well, it's a point difference. No, it does make a big difference. Of course it does. What are you even talking about? 17 to 20 is a noticeable difference. It is. I mean, you're talking about Paul. I I don't mean to cut you off. I'll let you continue. 17 to 24, just so that our listeners understand That's a lot. That's a touchdown. You're averaging a touchdown difference from the previous season. Yeah, that's That's a lot of points. astronomical to ask a team to do sometimes. Okay, but I don't think it's too much to ask this team realistically to average at least more than a field goal of what they averaged last year? I don't think that's too much to ask. I would challenge these guys and say, can you give me 22 to 23 a game? If they can give them 24-plus, God bless them. Really, throw a pizza party. That would be unreal. I I will tell you this. That's asking an awful lot. Well, I tell you this. With the aggressiveness of this defense, you're probably, at least I am, I'm counting on a little bit more uh, turnovers from the, the opposing offense. Better which, field position. Yeah, so, and it, with this offense being, you know, better, that, that could put, that could, that's one way you could increase your point total on this season is by creating more turnovers or takeaways on your defense, which I think is going to happen with just the, the way the mentality and the physicality of this defense. So mm-hmm. that'll be good. Um, I also feel that. I don't think it's a <laughs> 17 points is that I, I mean you can you definitely are going to improve on that that if to me you have to like Lance was saying but with these type of skill position but I, I really like anything this all predicates itself on health and who's on the field because like you said Paul on paper the skill positions on this team are pretty impressive um, we just have to be able to get them on the field at the same time and be healthy now you know that's not going to happen continuously because it's just the nature of the beast for sure. this league but the fact is is that we always talk about this that when you 
have injuries, you just hope you have the amount of depth behind them that can fulfill or even come back and play somewhat similar to the starter that went out until he gets back. And that's what I feel this offense is, is lacking and they're building. So it's more important that this team stays healthy and they're doing the right things to keep the guys on the field because of that. You and know, fellas, the, the biggest difference that you could potentially see that would enhance their offensive scoring output immensely is red zone. Without a doubt. That's the biggest yeah. problem with this offense right now. It's not about, all right, can they move it between the 30s? God knows Graham Gano has a leg, okay? He can hit 50-yard field goals. That's not where this offense has to change. It's got to change inside the red zone. And that's where the offensive line, more than anything else, has to come together and become functional. Because once you've got an offensive line that can control the line of scrimmage, that can sock it to the other team's front seven, and that can impose its will on winning that line of scrimmage, now you have the ability to punch it in and score touchdowns and get sevens instead of threes. That in itself could dramatically enhance your scoring average over the course of the Real season. Quickly, and, and at the beginning of this article, what is what is the what does it start out? The first sentence: the ultra creative play caller finally gets his chance to run a squad. His ultra creative play caller. That's what's that's red zone right there, and that's what I feel like with the guys that he has on this team at the at the you know the position, the wide receiver, the running back, and now a you know a capable offensive line. To me, the red zone production has got to go up. Yeah, it's but just, see, it, here, here's the thing, though, and you know this, Jeff. You can't be creative with your offense in the red zone unless your offensive line proves that it can muscle yeah. the line of scrimmage and punch people off the ball. And if you don't have that, then all the creativity and play calling matters none, zero. Yeah. You've got to be able to prove to people and make them respect your ability to be physical in the red zone before you can do all the gadgetry with your game plan. You also have to be able to execute, meaning no do doubt. that in a way without making mistakes. Because here's the other thing. I buy the whole offensive line thing, Paul, but they also hit themselves with penalties when they got in the red zone over the last few years. That contributed to red zone issues too, where you're at the 10 and now all of a sudden it's a false start or it's a guy that lines up in the wrong position or whatever it may be. I'm not just talking about the offensive lineman. I'm talking about wide receivers, tight ends, and now all of a sudden you lose another five yards, and you're going backwards more so than you're going forwards. That was a big issue in the red zone. So those are the things that have to be cleaned up, and that's why when Jeff throws out the creativeness of the play calling, to me it's not just the offensive line being able to block. It's if you're going to move guys around, can they get lined up according to plan? Are they going to brush aside those little mental mistakes that to me came back to bite the Giants in previous years. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Guys, the Giants were dead last in red zone efficiency last horrible. year. Okay, They were Not 45%. Horrible. Yeah. Now, the Bills, just to give you an idea, Buffalo was number one in the NFL last year. They were 66%. We could compare left and right all we want. We know the personnel was drastically different. So I don't know if we're taking a whole lot away. Kansas City, I'm just giving the numbers an idea here. Kansas City was 11th overall in the NFL. They were 62%. So the two play callers on this team are coming from offenses that have been able to tackle the red zone and have been able to thrive. Can they bring that 
mental approach, that discipline to the Giants. That's going to be a big piece of the puzzle, Jeff, to what you're talking about in addition to what Paul was bringing up with respect to the offensive line. Well, I mean, I remember we we talked about this a little bit on NFL Network. They were they were they were showing some of these games, you know, from last year. And I was watching when you're watching the Bills and you're watching the um, the Kansas City Chiefs and just the way that they do things in that red zone area. I I I believe that it's just you know, number one, you mentioned it. It's all execution is the big thing. You know, you can have the offensive line certainly makes a huge difference. Your quarterback is a big part of this, and also you know, play calling, but. It's getting all 11 of those guys on the right page at the right time and executing the play. That is something that we have not been able to see with the Giants for a long time is red zone production because of the execution. And like you mentioned, first and goal on the three, offsides, boom, okay? It just sets you back now. You got you had the ball on the three-yard line, which now you can run the football, you can throw the football, whatever you want. Now, now where'd you go? Now you're first and eight. Okay, so it changes things around. So execution, being able to be disciplined down there, that's something this team has lacked. And I don't, you know, I'm hoping that that is fixed. And I think just because of that, and if it is fixed, and the guys can execute the plays, the production will go up. In, in all honesty, though, Jeff, a lot of that comes from lack of talent. They just haven't been good enough up Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Okay, if you have the talent and your hand is in the dirt on the offensive line, Paul, you have some talent. Trust me. You know that. There isn't a bunch of stiffs playing every in 32 teams on offensive line. Guy. I'm sorry. You, If you jump offside, that's not talent. That's just that's that's discipline and execution yeah. on your own. I, I, I mean, grant you. I grant okay. you that. I grant you that. But, but, I, but I do know this. If you if you so let's just say this. If you got five guys that are just you know they're they're not that good, but those are your starters and they all they all are okay to stay on sides and they and they do the best they can. There's going to be a little bit more execution. But you know what happens? How many times did we? I mean, we didn't throw things, but and I didn't have any hair to pull out of my hair. But I mean, first and three, we, it's almost it's like we we sit there and we look at each other and go. Someone's going to jump off sides. Something's going to happen here. And sure enough, boom, there it went. Because out. it was a trend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was you're, a trend. You're, you're right. The penalties are a discipline thing, but the missed blocks are yeah, obviously. That's a different that's, thing. Well, yeah, that's that's execution, thing. though. And, talent, and, and, and both yeah. of those come under execution. The lack of discipline and, and flat-out missed blocks and missed assignments, that's lack of talent. Both of those things lead to bad execution. Right. But to enhance the numbers of what Lance is talking about, when you look at the red zone proficiency of the NFL last year, the median team, that is the middle of the league, was Arizona at 60%. To give you an idea of what the Giants, not only were they dead last, they were at 45%. Yep. There were only three teams in the league that were under 50% in red zone efficiency. Chicago, Detroit, and the Giants. So it wasn't just that they were 32 they were 32 by a canyon. There was a significant drop-off. On top Huge. of that, Paul, but here's the other thing, and this is why I use the term trend. You know where they were the previous year? They were 31st in the NFL. Bingo. So they moved down actually one spot, and they were also in the 40s. They were at 46% in 2020. The only other team worse than the Giants was the other team that shares MetLife Stadium, and that's the Jets, who were at 42%. Everybody else in the NFL was 50% or over. So that goes back to what we're talking about here with red zone inefficiency, because, I mean, that's the proper term to use to describe what's happened the last few seasons. It's the fact that the Giants were so far away from the rest of the league. So this goes back to, Paul, when you were talking about what could the Giants average scoring offense-wise, 
if they get to 21, okay, that would be a huge step in the right direction given the fact mm-hmm. that they've been hanging out in the teens and they have not been able to even get to 50% in red zone efficiency the last few seasons. Now, could a coach come in year one and change things up and the creativeness and cleaning up the discipline that we're talking about and really make a significant stride? It could happen. But the norm on average in the National Football League, that doesn't happen overnight where a team just flips the script and then goes a touchdown up. So I think everybody's expectations need to be reasonable. You could feel really good about what Dable and Kafka could bring to the table, but even if you feel great, asking them to take this offense up a touchdown consistently, they could maybe have a game or two where they score in the 30s or whatever, but I'm talking about average-wise over 17 games. To expect this team to go from 17.5 to like 24.5, 25 points, that would mean that I think you'd have numerous guys having career years across the board. Sure, it would that's take, 17 yeah, more touchdowns. Correct. Basically. It would take, Jeff, that level of effort we're talking about for the Giants to average that over the course of a season. Well, let me give you a comparison. Okay, let's go back to the last year that the Giants were actually a decent red zone team. That would be 2019 when Daniel Jones wound up replacing Eli Manning after the first few games of the season. His rookie year, yeah. And they were at 57%, which was 16th in the NFL. That is a, that's respectable. Okay, you can, you can survive if you're in, if you're right there at the median, if you're in the middle. That offensive line from left to right was Solder Hernandez, Jalapio, Zeitler, and Remmers. Okay? I think this starting five, as we project it, is going to be better than that starting five was. Fair? Yeah, I don't think that's a crazy I, I think it's fair. You got two you got two first legitimate two first round draft picks at your tackle position, right? And you've got a veteran at the right guard position who's, you know, is a is a good player. Not a pro bowler, he's a good player, but the, you know, yeah. So I, I would imagine it that and by the way, that, that two thousand nineteen offensive line was was you know, they were a little bit long in the tooth too, you know. So Schremers and uh, and Solder are they they weren't young chickens, you know. So I agree with you there. Well here's the, so that that's my basis for optimism optimism that they've got a chance to realistically get themselves into the low 20s and I agree 24 23 24 you're asking a lot but I think they can they can make a significant dent in that red zone offense just because of the offensive lines and listen I think both of those coincide with one another Paul I think that's a very fair point, but I want to bring up another number to your point in 2019. So you mentioned the red zone offense was 57%, and they were right around the middle of the pack based on their numbers. But the Mm -hmm. offense, scoring offense I'm talking about. 21 a game. There you go. Okay, so 57% red zone, 21 points per game. And this was, remember, this was the Pat Shermer offense where they had a number of bright spots in that Pat Shermer offense. And we were talking about Daniel Jones' solid rookie year. But even with that jump, so we're going 45%, guys, to 57% red zone efficiency. The only jump we made was about 17.5 points per game to 21.3. So you notice that only got you about just under four points boost-wise on average. That's why I'm trying to be reasonable where I'm saying, can it be done? Absolutely. But to think that they're going to get a touchdown, I think that's a little bit unreasonable based on the projections for this season. I'm not saying it can't happen, but if you look at the law of average, that would require unbelievable well, efforts across I, the board. I gave you, I, I, I said 24 would be a lot, but I'd love to see 22 or 23. Well, that's only a point or two more than what they had last time. But in fairness, just Paul, by, But it's by logic and by rationale. And by the way, I really do think 
that Gano was better than Aldrich Rosas. Rosas had a pretty darn good year that year. In fact, it was one of his better yeah, years. Yeah, wasn't that like a Pro Bowl year for him? He, he was 35 out of 39. He was really good. But, but, how about this? He was 0 for 1 beyond 50. And we know Gano is a 50-yard specialist. So just because of the kicking situation, the Giants should be able to score more points. Well, but in fairness, also, Gano had an outstanding season last year, Paul. So I don't really His think we're going to see a dip. he's been a 50-yard specialist. Yeah, I don't think though. we're going to see a dip, Jeff, in kicking, right? I think, if anything, no. you're expecting the kicking to maintain itself. And then, sure. if anything, you're hoping that he doesn't kick as many field goals this year. Because if you're talking about red zone improvement, then you want him kicking more extra points than field goals. So maybe the point total goes down slightly because he's not going to have as many field goal opportunities. And I disagree entirely because the red zone situation has nothing to do with the 50-yard field goals. And over his career, he's 32 out of 51, so he's much higher than even 50%. Those that are outside, those long-range field goals, you now have the advantage of knowing Gano can come in and hit 52, 53, 54-yarders at, at somewhat regularity, where at that time, Rosas was 0 for 1 from 50. He wasn't even trying 50-plus yarders. So those are bonus points that has nothing to do with what we're talking about in the red zone. Well, but I wasn't getting nothing. toward I wasn't comparing him to Rosas. I was making the comparison to last season to and himself. how they used Gano. Yeah. That's well, what that, I was that's talking a about. totally different equation we're talking about. Well, now. but that that's why I want to clarify my point. My point was not that you're well, getting a boost. My point was you're still gonna be aggressive in allowing Gano to have his opportunities outside of fifty, which you were talking about. I'm just talking what I was presenting to Jeff was you're not gonna get some of those shorter field goals because you're gonna hope that those turn into touchdowns instead. Right. right. Which so should that's be a what plus four every time you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah right? exactly. It's, it's one point more than what you normally would should have gotten. Be, should be plus four instead. Yeah, it should be plus four in, instead of plus three. You're getting an extra four on top of the three. So that that's that's going to enhance you even more. Well, no, but I'm saying you're going to be taking away but, field goal opportunities, yeah. though, short term. In, you in hope terms so. of because you're getting more touchdowns. Yeah, no. That's so what, no. So what I'm saying is, Gano shouldn't then have as many opportunities for field goals overall. Is what right. I was saying. That yeah. was my point. Yeah, basically just, you know, and I'm throwing numbers out. If he's got 32 attempts, it might only be 26 this exactly. year Correct. because of the, the the efficiency, if we will. I'll trade those six field goal attempts for six touchdowns. And that's, that's okay. what and that's what we're trying to, <laughs> yeah, it, agree upon is that those those field goal attempts will go down. And, and it's not a bad thing for, you know, maybe for his incentives, but it's not a bad <laughs> thing if your field goal kicker has six less field goals and you put up – 24 more points. So that's that that makes a difference. And I think and by the way, 24 points added on to 17 games and and the other things is going to hopefully get that thing from 17 up to, you know, in the 20s somewhere. So, low 20s. And that's pretty much the logic that we were coming from in terms of the trade-off, but it just goes to show you that Getting a point or two more in the NFL from an offensive standpoint, uh-huh. it's not so simple where you just snap your fingers. It actually it takes a lot, Jeff, over the course of a season <laughs> to move the for needle, numbers to balance out. Yeah, 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 it does. And, and you know, unfortunately, the needle has to move high because the the bar is set so low. Right? I mean, seventeen points, guys. I mean, that's just that's well. And, you know. and Jeff, you'll appreciate this too. You and I both know you've got to be able to tilt the field. Okay. Yeah, well, because yeah. that makes things easier for your offense, and it makes things better for your defense as well. Tom Coughlin loved you because you were able to tilt the field every single time he needed you to. Jeff, I need you to do this for me. Tilt the field, and you did it. Sure. Well, I mean, again, you know, you look at the numbers for punting over the last ten years. You, if you ever wanted to just do a study, go back and look at. It. I've done it, and it is incredibly 
it's you, you it's you can't even believe what's going on the numbers are so far different from 10 years ago than they are today both net and gross and so the net number as we all know the net of effect of this is that somebody that can directional kick and eliminate returns by doing it um that's you know a net average of 41 yards is it that's that's a that's a well there's 50, 50 yards is half the field. So if you're getting 40 of it, you're almost close to there. So, and I think that that's a very important point. You got to have, an, and we'll see about the punting position here. Because um, it's a new punter this, now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, and here's a guy that's very raw and, and learning. So I think that that's, you know, you hope that he can be at least consistent. He may not be, he's, he's got a big leg, guys. It's just, it's an inconsistent leg right now. And, and again, these guys that are young, that's, they have to figure these things out. And directional kicking is one of the things, the punting position, nobody does it in college. And if they do, they do it Aussie-wise. You know, they don't do the traditional kicking. Now, by the way, you can punt. And still do Aussie kicks and and directional kick through it. In fact, I forgot to ask Jerry because I wanted to. You know, they they the Baltimore Ravens drafted Jordan Stout from Penn State this year in the fourth round, um, and Sam Cook retired after 16 years. And and Paul, we talked about this the other day. They actually retained him as a uh, specialist coordinator, or specialist consultant. Yeah. So so he's on the roster, not on the roster, but on their coaching staff to do that, which makes sense. Sure, it does. Especially with a young guy, you know, a rookie that comes in there. A little bit like what they did when Matt Dodge came in here, but he didn't listen to me, so therefore he only had a year-and-a-half career. So, Going back in time and revisiting things. Didn't yeah. listen to the guy who, who played yeah. more games than anybody else in right. the league. So. The, reason he, the reason he didn't want to, he didn't listen to me because he didn't want to play. And that was, I, I, I yeah. was always crazy about that. He's just, you know. Basically, flat out said, I, I really just, I never thought I would get drafted, and I, I don't want to play football. It's, I want to be a bodybuilder. Well, well fellas, well, it's quite I, difficult I, I, to we, do we, that we, then. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless uh, of certainly the punting and the punt coverage and the gunners, we mm -hmm. all know how important that is on one side of it, but then the other side of it, too. The Giants need to figure out, and I don't know who it's going to be right now, who is going to be their punt return guy. And, and, you know, there are certainly a bunch of elusive guys with speed who they've got in this camp, but they're going to have to nail that down. And, Jeff, as you, as you can attest well. to, coaches want 10 yards of punt return. They want that free first down. Giants haven't gotten that in a long time. Well, right now, I don't know how old this one is. Okay, this is, this is updated 610. And and by the way, my my roster, I think like yours, Paul, is from OurLads.com. It's, it's just I plug them, but their anyway, depth charts, their depth charts are great. So yeah. here we go. And I'm not satisfied with this, by the way. I affect this, and I I think something needs to change. But the number one punt returner on this list right now, as of June 10th, was a Tory Jackson. That does not excite me from the punting. Now, Kadarius Tony well, is the second guy. If you're looking, actually, Jeff, if you're looking at our lads, because I have it up, I think you're looking at an old version. I have 628. As yeah, this is dated version. Well, no, this one, this was. I just have this uh, in my file here. As of June tenth, it was a Dory Jackson. I don't know what the new one is. Well, now. I'll tell you the new one is because I have it up. Richie they James. Have, Richie James is listed. Okay, good, yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> That's why I didn't. I didn't know whether you must have been looking at a printout. Is that what you were looking at? Or are you I looking am. at a computer? Yeah, you print no, it. I'm looking at a printout. Yeah. That's it's why. In my file okay. Here, so. Well, that's yeah. why I was saying. It's when you said June tenth, I was like the screen has June twenty eighth. So yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, and and who who else would I like? To, okay, so I I don't know. I I agree with you there, Paul. I mean, let's get some let's get somebody that can give me a first down every return, right? Give me a ten yard, a nine yard mm -hmm. average. That's that that would be good. Kadarius Tony is an exciting guy, but he's also a very exciting guy on on uh, offense too. So they got I don't know. Robinson I, as well. They got a few I think, options. I think yeah, I think you're going to see a platoon there. 
Honestly, I think you'll see a bunch of guys returning. Well, kicks, Thomas so. McGay, he's used to doing that from last season. So something yeah. tells me it won't be yeah. anything new for him. I agree. Yep. I so mean, it'll be interesting. You know, Richie James is certainly in that mix if he makes the team. Well, that's the He's if. certainly in it. Yeah. You know, now I, I know in his time in San Francisco, his numbers were not spectacular, but he's got enough of experience doing it. And we've seen him out here on, at practice. He's got some quicks. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he winds up being the guy. I mean, the bottom line is they got to get more production out of that spot. Yeah. I think, you know, Richie James, he, he's a guy that benefited in OTAs and minicamps for the, for the injuries. You know, he, I actually think he did, he did himself some good. Mm-hmm. Um, in this offseason, and I, I, I have him probably making the team this year. Well, he also has to stay healthy because, remember, he was yeah. banged up in San Francisco. Yeah. And I think yep. the big debate, guys, is going to be if Richie James does make the team, do they value him so much as saying, hey, you're going to be our main special teams guy? Or do they like what, as Jeff was just alluding to, bringing to the table as a wide receiver? Because what do we talk about? If you're going to be that fifth, sixth wide receiver or seventh, if they choose to go there, you're going to have to contribute on special teams. But I think also they have to have confidence, Jeff, that in the event there's an injury, and we saw this last season, that if they have to line you up as a receiver, they believe you could go out there and execute too. That's the other part of the equation here. Yeah, there's that depth question that I always bring up. Are you able to fill the position from your depth you know, you, you, listen, there, there isn't a neutral, it's not a, a lateral move at any point where there's, you know, your backup becomes the starter. They, you know, they're not the same, or he would be playing somewhere else, right? So th- there is a drop-off, but is it is it a huge drop-off, or is it somewhere you feel comfortable to keep this guy on the roster and be your punt returner, be your kick returner, be one of your guys on special teams, and then if, uh, you know, Kadarius Tony or one Wondell Robinson goes down, or can you put him in any of those other positions and feel comfortable? That's where it all comes down to the final roster spots. Like you said, Lance, it comes down to depth and special teams on depth. That's what it is. And it's not just a receiver position. That's at every position. Sure. You know, Jeff, I, I think part of the question becomes, do you go with the Parcells philosophy when he had Phil McConkie back there before they got David Meggett in the draft and just tells his punt returner, I just want you to make good decisions, catch the ball, and have ball security? Because I know my team's good enough that I can move the ball downfield. Sure. So Bill, Bill didn't necessarily need to acquire field position from his punt return team because his team was that good. Now, this this Giants team, I don't think you can have confidence in them to say they're that good, which is why I think you have to put a premium on getting punt return yardage from your guy. Now, at the same time, we all know ball security is always going to be a priority back there. 100%. But, but this yeah. is where a guy like C.J. Board gets involved in that conversation Mm -hmm. because I think we know how much coaches like him on all the different special teams units. He's a steady, reliable guy, but I think we both and all three of us know he's not going to be a dynamic punt returner, but he, he does bring a certain amount of stability and reliability to all the special teams units. So then you have a question to ask yourself as to what are you hoping to gain out of that spot as to whether or not you give him heavy consideration.
Well, that's why the restrictions of the 53-man roster make some of these decisions tough because you have to weigh, if I keep this guy, what do I lose maybe with explosiveness if I were just to keep the other guy, but he's not going to be as good of a receiver. And those are some of the questions that the Giants are going to have to answer as they finalize the 53-man roster. Another part of this equation also, we can revisit this on a future show, is how aggressive are you going to be on offense or defense and how does that influence your special teams decisions? We know that based on what we saw over the last few seasons, those things also go hand in hand. So that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are back up and running again tomorrow, but the show will be taped. We'll continue our opponent preview series. We'll turn our attention to another AFC foe, the Jacksonville Jaguars, as we'll continue to break down what to expect for the upcoming 2022 season. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.